Hello listener, welcome to the Switch It podcast, where we're all about the bilaterals, baby. Forget the World Cup, India are two from two in their T20i series against Australia as IPL auction fever begins to build, and you know who wins the IPL every year. England, meanwhile, are moving on from their failed 50-over title defence quicker than you can say scheduling crunch with a trip to the Caribbean. Yes, like turkeys and stuffing, there's always room for a little bit more. And for those dreaming of a white ball Christmas, there are three ODIs and five T20Is coming down the chimney. Joining me today for a festive helping are Assistant Associate Editor Combo, Matt Roller and Vitushan Hantaraja. Uh, good to see you both. First things first, chaps, um, have you started your Christmas shopping and who are you giving a bottle of Unandua to? What's Unandua? I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Kumar Dharmasena's new cologne oh, is yeah. named Unandua. <laughs> right. So which member of your family is uh, stocking wow. is going to be? <laughs> uh, maybe not a member of my family, but I'll probably give it to David Willey. It sounds like he's missed out on a lot over the last couple of months, so <laughs> maybe that'll cheer him up. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a really nice feature of uh, the IPL retentions is that Mo Bobat leaves the ECB having not offered David Willey a central contract and then joins RCB <laughs> just in time to not offer him an IPL contract either. Poor guy, yeah, he could probably do with a bottle of cologne as penance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if it wasn't on his wish list, I'm sure it is now. Uh, one of the great bits of news to come out of the uh, post-World Cup uh, Matt, you were still in India, I think, when we last spoke. How did how did the tour treat you? Hopefully, better than it did Joss Butler and Co. Uh, yeah, all good. Um, I I stayed a little longer than them. I wasn't quite the last Englishman there. With obviously Josh English playing a, a not very <laughs> crucial role in the final. Uh, Leeds is finest, but um, yeah, no, good. Thank you. Uh, nice to be back on home soil for um, what promises to be one of the more low key uh, series that England have played over. the the past few years coming up in the Caribbean. <laughs> well, yes, um, we're all about bilateral cricket, of course. Uh, once again, with with England heading out to uh, to the West Indies, we we should, uh, I think, just check in on the final stages of the World Cup and say, "Are you okay, Hun?" Uh, to India, who <laughs> who won our hearts, but once again lost the game that mattered. Um, Vish, are you uh, one of those of the opinion that? You know, the the best team doesn't always win these competitions, um, but they were the best team, and we should all just sort of leave it at that. Um, maybe not in that tone specifically, <laughs> but I suppose I do agree with the with the sentiment, and that is, you know, the beauty of knockout tournaments, really, that you get to that situation, and the best team doesn't get over that final hurdle. Um, I mean, it was funny as well. <laughs> But I suppose the, you know, to, to strip away the funniness, there are elements of it that, you know, it would have been quite cool for Kohli and Rohit in particular to win it in front of their home crowd, especially given the symmetry between this and, and 2011. But the, I suppose because of all that, because of all the forces, you know, in India's favour, whether that be narrative or quite literally how the pitches were being prepared... Um, it probably makes Australia's win all the all the greater, really. And the fact that they've won six and people are were talking, you know, comfortably that this was the best of the six says a lot, really. And it, and you know, even individually, it's a great story. They've suddenly everyone talks about building, you know, like a a dynasty, and Australia seem to have happened upon another one out of nowhere. Like if we if <coughs> if you kind of 
you throw in the 2021 T20 World Cup, you've then got the World Test Championship, you know, putting in a good shift in India, retaining the Ashes, winning the World Cup, those last bits all in the same year. Um, it's pretty remarkable for a group of players who probably come under more criticism than praise you know in their time together this is what being woke does for you isn't it yeah exactly you, you win everything no that's yeah. what it's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. uh i mean matt we I, uh, I think we spoke on on the last uh pod or one uh before about how there was a an early narrative in the tournament that england were going to going to knock Australia out after they lost yeah. their opening two games. It didn't quite pan out like that. No, um, and much as Australia were sort of cast as underdogs going into the final, they did also end up winning nine games in a row to win the World Cup. So it's not like they were some mugs who um, got got the right side of the toss or something like that. It was a, Greece a, 2004. Yeah, it was a proper, proper side... Um, it, and yeah, as Vish says, one of the sort of crowning achievements of um, a team that has been unbelievable for a long period of time now. If you think this has been, we've had England's greatest ever era of success in, in men's white ball cricket. And it's now been bookended by a 2015 Australia ODI World Cup win and a 2023 ODI World Cup win as well with a similar <laughs> core of players in, in some cases. Um so yeah, I mean they, they keep churning out um, performances when it matters, and yeah, India now what over ten years since the last one a uh, men's ICC event, which is pretty staggering given I think six different teams have won one in that decade, um, including you know Pakistan, West Indies, um, Sri Lanka, even so teams that are sort of spoken about as being in perma crisis nowadays. Um, so yeah, much as much as they continue to to, di- to dominate bilateral cricket, there's still I don't know whether it's pressure or whether it's randomness or what it is, but there's still something that's not quite clicking for India in um, semi-finals and finals. And um, yeah, it was I think there was a sort of a bit of a sense that there was a potential flaw if if any in the team was um, the the sort of lack of batting depth and whether or not they could you know if they lost three early wickets as they as they did in the final whether they could. Um, play with the same freedom and fearlessness that had characterised most of the tournament for them and uh, yeah the proof is in the pudding they couldn't they couldn't defeat Travis Head and his moustache um, <clears throat> yeah I think as as a, a wise Australian once said funny cricket is better than good cricket um, Vish uh, final thoughts really on on the World Cup uh, th- but let's go with a big one you know the 50 over format uh, 12 years ago India won a World Cup on home soil, uh, and I think that, that generally lifted um, the format after a couple of pretty uh, average tournaments in um, the West Indies and South Africa. Um, this time around, if India had won it again, I'm sure you know we'd be saying it's all well and good for for ODI cricket, but it feels increasingly that it's being hemmed in by the other formats, even if Test cricket is still dying. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what, how excited are you for 2027 in South Africa? Is what I'm trying to say. Um, and what did, what what sort of taste did this tournament leave? Uh, you know, the the. The, the hometown favourite didn't win. There was a good story in Australia winning. Uh, there was there was not many close matches. There there was this undercurrent towards the end about uh, pitches being uh, ordered. I suppose you know what if if you're what kind of taste it left. There was a little bit of a Japanese sweet pastry about it because it was what you thought <laughs> okay, was. You're a gonna have of, to unpack this. Okay, so you know it's all about subtlety of flavour in um, Japanese cuisine, particularly when it comes to sweets, okay. and it was. 
what you thought was a lot of nothing and then you're hit by the sweetness at the end uh-huh. and it kind of you know so texturally it's all everything's there but you're not really moved until that bit at the end when basically the games were knockout and there was a bit more jeopardy and you weren't reliant on I mean, not, not, not that you weren't relying on the toss, but it felt like, you know, there was there were some games that you, you sort of flicked on the TV to watch or cover, and you're like, I know this is only going one way, and whatever back and forth there might be over the next... I was going to say 100 overs. I don't think a single game really got to 100 overs, did it? Um, but in terms of the back and forth, within there, there was some jeopardy, but ultimately not much, until it became do or die. And it kind of says that, you know, you, you mentioned 2027 there. I mean... I, they should find a way to concoct it to have quarterfinals. I think 50 over cricket need that in particular because of the, because of how some games can drag on. Um, but the more knockout cricket, the better. Um, and I suppose, yeah, in terms of a taste in the mouth, yeah, I'd go back to my, um, you know, tortured bit at the beginning. I thought <laughs> a sweet end, but ultimately very little from, you know, before that. Is is this something like umami? You know, the, the, no, the, umami's a bit different. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, there's it wasn't sweet or, or salty or sour. It was it was something else. I don't, now that I'm talking about, it, I'm thinking about where the best place to get a Japanese pastry would be in this area. I think there are a few choices. You might have to go further to Acton, but um, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sticking with that. Yeah, maybe this is probably not going to be clipped up, but I'm sticking with that. It's it's a good one. We'll we'll note it down and come back to it later. Um, I think uh, there will be more teams at the next 58 World Cup, Matt. There'll be, uh, uh, what, 14? There'll be some more associates or, or uh, some of the smaller teams, um, which increases the jeopardy. I mean, it, I already think we're going to get two groups there, or two sort of seven-team league uh, leagues running with that will go straight into semi-finals or something like that. I think it's, it, <coughs> the chat seems to be we're going to get Super Sixes again, which I don't yeah. instinctively like because... Um, you know, I think the argument against quarterfinals is that you end up with some pretty average teams going through. Like England finished seventh at this World Cup, and um, you know, if you'd if you'd done a sort of tortured quarterfinal stage after that long ten-team group stage, and England getting three, probably they were just reflect- hitting their stride. <laughs> yeah. That could have been all they needed. Well, to yeah, they were peaking at the right time. It's just uh, defend the trophy. Game from a bit too much of a trough, but yeah, no. Um, I, I think you need quarterfinals. Same same as we said. Um, increased jeopardy I think it's good that they're growing the number of teams I think um, mm. probably not enough but I think more to the point you just don't know what the game is going to look like in four years and it very much felt like teams were working out well a lot of teams were working out 50 over cricket in the uh, weeks and months leading up to this tournament I imagine it'll be pretty similar in 2027 in that teams play a little bit of it but um, you know more and more without all of their best players Um and I don't know, in, in some ways I feel like 50 over cricket's almost becoming a bit of a purist format because, you know, you, you sort of, you're seeing a, a combination of, um, you know, country's best players uh, who don't play much of it, adapting to it in the process of, of the tournament itself. Then you're also seeing some T20 players having their skills probably tested a bit more in that the bowlers coming back for a second or third spell and, um, you know, batters having to string longer innings together. You saw in England's case, someone like Liam Livingston or Sam Curran, who have played a lot of T20, probably being slightly exposed in terms of the, the longer format skills. But um, I don't know whether cricket necessarily, you know, the global game as it is at the moment has a, it has a need for that extra sort of purist format where you know people are giving up eight hours of their day to watch a, a scrappy you know 220 plays to you, you know that semi-final in Kolkata I thought was absolutely gripping I thought that was a brilliant game 
um, as someone mm, who mm, yeah. cares a lot about cricket. I don't know if as a casual fan you would necessarily think the same, watching people nudge it around and uh, you know try and basically try and scrap to a low total. Um, so yeah, I think it's um, it, you know the fifty over game is still very much in flux. I think. Um, you know, we, we've seen in the past, the ICC have often tried to change playing conditions to <coughs> revive it. And I wouldn't be surprised if, well, I hope that that's something that's going to be considered because these this set have actually lasted for eight years. Mm. And, um, <coughs> you know, there are times where the game can feel a little bit formulaic in terms of how it's played at the moment. So I would, I would love to get to a situation where we have one ball rather than two, which would bring reverse swing back into the game a bit more. Um, I wouldn't be averse to dropping off 10 overs and playing 40 over cricket, which I've always thought is a better format than 50. But The YB40 um, revival. Yeah, what a competition it was. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, I don't think we've heard the last of 50 over cricket's decline, despite the fact that from uh, the point of view of you know viewing figures in India and ticket sales for <coughs> India games, it was very successful and clearly commercially did all right. Um, I think there, there was clearly a sort of the other World Cup that didn't feature India and featured the other nine teams playing each other. That bit didn't seem to go so well from my perspective <laughs> uh well i i yeah four groups of four for me and uh, straight straight into the quarters uh, get it get it done <coughs> i'm sure the bcci will push that through yeah. <laughs> um to the caribbean then uh, which has seen more than a few new dawns for english cricket several of them <laughs> false um Matt, you, you were there f through the, uh, through the uh, uh, decline and fall of England's world champions. Uh, it's time for the, the reboot. Uh, Butler and Mott still at the helm. I mean, we were talking um, a couple of weeks ago about <coughs> whether they would get that chance. And uh, Rob Key, um, I think, took a lot of the flack um, in the wake of, of England's unsuccessful campaign. But um, how important is this? How important is this tour uh, <laughs> for when we're when we're really trying to build it up? Of course, uh, I mean o in in ODI terms, we're four years away from another World Cup. Yeah, uh, there are a few new faces. It, it's probably probably more. There's uh, probably more of a, a focus going to be on the T20 leg. I guess. Yeah, I, I feel like the ODIs are um, pretty much a complete <coughs> shot to nothing for players involved. I think if you know, it feels like given that England don't play ODI cricket after this until September 2024, mm. the end of next summer against Australia, which might be a bit of a B-list series anyway, um, sort of coming a couple of months after next summer's T20 World Cup, um, it, it feels like this is a slightly, ran one of these random contextless bilateral series that happens and um, a couple of people will uh, enhance their credentials mm. and a couple of people might diminish them a little bit, but I, I sort of feel like it's you know i don't i don't think it's the end of the world what happens in terms of the series result i think england would quite like to get back to actually starting to win some bilateral series because I, I think that you know was it did actually prove to be a bit more of a problem than people expected at the world cup once they sort of got knocked off their stride they didn't have that sort of ingrained confidence to fall back on of mm. um <coughs> winning regularly but um yeah i i i, th I just think given the uh, the length of time before any any follow-up series or any you know it's not like anyone's going to find meaningful 50 over form over the course of three games and then um, you know none of those guys will then play a 50 over mm. game even for even in domestic cricket pretty much until September so um, but yeah it is it is an interesting squad and I suppose it's as much as anything an interesting um, an opportunity to have a bit of a look at what the, the sort of you know, long-term vision is as far as um, what what the ECB and Rob Key and um, 
Matthew Mott and Joss Butler concocted in the final few weeks of the World Cup where they thought they might have gone wrong and um, what they're sort of building towards for the next cycle. Um, we'll probably see, I think, Phil Salt and Will Jacks open the batting. Um, there's obviously, you know, the test top three of Crawley, Duckett and Popa in there. I would be surprised if we didn't see Crawley at three and Duckett at four to start with, as, as it was against Ireland in September. Um, and also Key has, has made quite a big point about trying to have a core of uh, a stable I suppose of three format fast bowlers in people like John Ch- John Turner um, Josh Tung who's obviously out of the tour mm. now with injury but Matthew Potts Bryden Cars even Gus Atkinson um, and trying to create all format fast bowlers like you see Australia have South Africa have India have um, so it'll be interesting to see whether that's the sort of starting point for that I was going to ask actually because you were obviously out in India and you you were there <coughs> for I suppose the the quite muted turnaround results at the end. Did you get a sense that there was a correction, or rather, was it just simply skewed towards the games they were playing and how other teams might have checked out as well? Yeah, I I mean I think the the it was only two wins right, and the first one was yeah. against the Dutch team that they sh- should always you should should beat ninety five times out of hundred if not more. Um, the Pakistan game, I thought, yeah, maybe a bit of a bit of that was Pakistan having. You know, effectively had their chances of qualification ended by the coin toss, yeah. um, or they were pretty much gone already. Um, I, I th- it was a very strange thing actually because you you watch sort of the the main thing there was that England sort of took the game on a bit more in the power play on quite a difficult pitch, got ahead of the game by um, I can't remember what they scored in the power play, but Bairstow and Milan put on a partnership, um, and then everything sort of seemed to click after that. But then a lot of those players that um, the, the sort of was successful that day you know Milan Bairstow Root Stokes how many of those are going to realistically <laughs> be playing 50 over cricket in four years time for England so um, it, it felt more like it was uh, a sense of what might have been in the tournament just gone and maybe what could have happened if England had um, you know had a longer preparation period played more games in in Asia in the build up um, it just played some 50 over cricket in the year as a whole really um, rather than a vision for the future was how I saw it but um, yeah there'll, there'll be lots of interesting things to sort of see like I, I'm intrigued to know what England see as the future of the number three position in ODIs they've obviously had Joe Reid mm. there for a long time and Rob Key said he's not ruled out of that but you know we've seen Australia just win a World Cup with a, a real power player and Mitch Marsh at number three mm. is that the way that teams start going where they have sort of three really aggressive batters rather than two at the top and then they have that sort of more test style players in the middle order at four and five like Smith and Navashane mm. did for Australia or is that just a you know is that just a circumstance circumstantial thing for Australia and um, I suppose England you know could could have looked at someone <coughs> like Sam Hain in this series but have gone mm. away from that and will probably have Crawley at three which suggests I don't know m- maybe a bit more power rather than touch but um, I suppose Crawley at his best should have both so yeah I mean uh, looking at the uh, the options you've got you've got to fit Harry Brook in there somewhere as well, uh, presumably given he's one of the one of the few players left over from the uh, from the wreckage. <coughs> um, I mean, Vish, this is not quite the same as as the 2015 reboot, is it? You know, with well Ireland in, initially, but then and then the New Zealand series when you had Roy Hales uh, <coughs> and and so on. The um, you know Morgan giving free reign to uh, a whole new attacking ethos. This is more about sort of evolution, isn't it? And, and trying to get back, uh, get get the mojo back under Butler, yeah, uh, with some new personnel in, and, and then and then sort of moving into the T20s. 
create a bit a better transition because um, again the T20 the T20 squad has a more familiar feel to it the, the next T20 World Cup potentially there'll be well I think there are 10 members of the 2022 World Cup winners World Cup winning squad if you count Tom Almills and Reese Topley as individuals rather yes, than the right, same yeah, person yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so you know, it, it, not quite the same England going to 2023 50 over World Cup with all of the same place in 2019 because the, the, the time scale isn't so big but they've got to ideally get the right blend uh, for, for that for the next World Cup defence or attack should we call it already yes yeah yeah the next World Cup attack no no you're, you're, you're right about this um Obviously, you, you, you didn't say this, but but this um, this is more of a refresh than a rebrand, mm. isn't it? Like the the hardest bit was done in that you know in the period leading up to the twenty nineteen World Cup, where it was about a complete change in mentality, and because of that change in mentality at the very top, we are in a situation now where those players coming into this this group and a few players out of the group actually are the ones who. I'll, you know, we can say even seeing here right now that these are the players who are going to carry England forward to that next fifty <coughs> over World Cup. Um, you, I think of someone like Will Jacks, who really stands out in that regard. Even Crawley, to an extent, actually, because if you think of when he actually came onto the scene, there was a lot of talk about him being a, a white ball player that his game was suited to white ball cricket, and it just so happens that you know he's thriving in a Test side where they're you know promote. I suppose. Promoting his strengths rather than having, you know, asking him to get better at his weaknesses. Mm. Um, but then, you know, he might he might get a taste for it. And also, if someone like for someone like Pope as well, and Duckett to an extent, who, in part because of how his, his Test cricket has gone recently, isn't really thought of as a as a white ball player. And it kind of opens up your franchise opportunities as well, doesn't it? I mean, I appreciate Crawley has played a bit of big bash and has been courted by a couple of other joints, but. You know, there is um, there is almost an opportunity here for a lot of these players to, you know, open up an avenue in your career, whether that's playing white ball cricket for England or otherwise. Um, I think I think the other interesting part of this is, it feels like we've always we've long had this situation where England seemingly can't be good in all formats, <laughs> as it were. And you can't quite, but I've never been able to put my finger on it beyond actually that we play test cricket this way and we play white ball cricket this way and they don't really feed into each other. I think this is the first time in a while that they're actually going mm. to. And I, I suppose we saw that with <coughs> some of the selection of all-rounders, say, in about that 2018 era, but it didn't quite translate because mm. England approach their cricket in a very different way anyway, um, even with that blend of um, options, as it were. And I suppose since 2022, because of the way Stokes and McCullum want to play and quite literally just the individuals who are now in this squad for the Caribbean, there is a sense there's going to be a, a bit more crossover, which in turn is going to lend itself to some issues of personnel. For example, you know, Matt mentioned the... Um, I appreciate it's not a, a hallmark uh, test summer next year, but they're going to be playing a decent amount of test cricket. They're going to be playing in the 100 as well, mm. a lot of those players. Can they really be bothered by an Australia series? You'd like to think that it, actually that decision's not in their hands because they're all contracted now. But... Even within those contracts, there are um, you know little little things here and there about if they're playing white ball cricket, what they're getting paid for that and stuff like that. You know, Joe, I think in Joe Root's contract, there's an element of like white ball there. But will he play a white ball game again? We don't really know, do we? Mm. Um, and then therefore, does that buddy come out of his uh, you know come out of his contract and get placed into someone else's? 
Um, so there's a lot of other things like that that are gonna that are gonna come up. But in terms of you know looking forward, I think this it's quite an exciting squad. It's quite an exciting time, isn't it? It's probably the best part of Rob Key's job, really, because it felt like he was very very active at the start of his tenure when he was putting things in place to move forward. And now that there's been a bit of a dip again, I feel like he, you know, you spoke to him about in, um, in India, Matt. It, it felt like, it felt like a press conference from his, from the start of his tenure. Yeah. Where he, felt like he just seemed a bit more at ease. Yeah, I think so. I, and I, I think um, also, key, you know, one of Key's good things has been, he's always been, uh, and, and this was true as a media pundit as well, he was quite good at sort of spotting themes from across the game and sort of working out how they might or might not apply to English cricket and clearly he has seen that in the case of India and Australia probably more so than anyone else that their their white ball sides are probably not as different to their test teams as used to be the case and he's he is very big on you know whereas I think we had a big period where uh, a lot of teams were separating formats he said actually maybe you know cricket is cricket it's more similar than we've appreciated in the mm. last few years and I think a good example of that would be the selection of for example Pope in this squad ahead of uh, Sam Hain because they're probably in a pretty similar role I think Pope will probably start this tour as a spare batter and mm -hmm. I think Hain would have if he'd gone ahead of him but you know Hain obviously did very well on debut I think he got 89 his, his T20 numbers have flown through the roof in the past couple of years at both average and strike rate He's a good Red Bull player. He's got a brilliant list, list A record, but the perception still seems to be that maybe he doesn't quite have the power. But also, he, he would probably be a one-format player, really. He, he'd be in your 50-over team. Maybe not so much in the... You know, he's a very good T20 player, but maybe not on the T20 side. Whereas Pope is a potential multi-format player, and maybe Key is starting to think maybe we want that consistency of mm. not just <coughs> messaging, but personnel as well. Um, and, yeah, this, this idea of, you know, why would you... Uh, you know, if you think someone is one of your best players in Test cricket, if you think there are similarities between two formats, why would you why would you limit what they can do for England by only picking them in one format? Um, when you know, as we've seen in Australia's case, the best players tend to be able to adapt across formats. I mean, that Australia team that played the World Cup final had, I think, eight um, Ashes regulars from from the summer, plus Inglis, Maxwell, and mm. Zampa. So maybe after years of Divergence, we're seeing some convergence between formats. Yes, I was going to say something else we can credit Basball for, uh, <coughs> but we've we'll, we'll just credited Australia. And Miller's not here, so we, we don't have to, <laughs> to always uh, uh, give that nod. Um, I mean, I, I suppose uh, Matt Potts coming in as, as the replacement for, um, for Josh Tung again, uh, yeah. <coughs> sort of, he's. Uh, what a couple of ODI caps I think uh, um, has been has, has made his main impact in in Red Bull cricket. Um, we won't go too deeply into uh, into, their, into their opponents, but obviously West Indies weren't at the World Cup. Uh, Vish, they're um, <coughs> like England. They're building for twenty twenty seven. Although <coughs> uh, there's a bit of a, as ever with West Indian cricket, I suppose there's a bit of a selection ruckus uh, brewing around the absence of Darren Bravo in this case. Um, I think he was one of the leading run scorers in their Super 50 competition, but um, he's, he's what mid 30s. I'm not he's getting on a bit because I'm oh, looking around the room, but he's uh, <laughs> around the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, as um, the guys on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast pointed out, you actually have to qualify for the next World Cup as well. Potentially, uh, West Indies didn't make this one. Um, I mean, England will, will 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 go there and expect to win. 
uh, even with a, you know, a refreshed, slightly experimental side. Um, but uh, they've been tripped up in the Caribbean on more than one occasion. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they should expect to win because of, because of that very reason. I think if you look through like, all, you know, Test One Day and, and T20I series, they've, they've not won many over the last, what, like six or seven years? You know, they've, they've won a, you know, T20I series in 2018, sorry, 2019, and then, yeah, like a, another ODI series in, in 2017. So it's, yeah, nothing's been, been guaranteed in terms of their travels over there. And the the West the uh, Darren Bravo thing's quite interesting because it feels like the <coughs> you know the so the um, West Indies selectors were speaking out of hand really when they talked about moving forward and, and want to start fresh. I think there's there's you can understand the attraction in that, especially when they're when they've selected players largely based on the Super Fifty form, which obviously then is skewed by the fact <laughs> that they leave out Darren Bravo, and. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I, you do wonder as well um, how big or how much homework England are going to be doing going into this series, and how much necessary homework there is to do. Bear in mind that so they travel today on the twenty eighth. They play the first game on Sunday. Obviously, there's a lot of players individually tuning up, but there's you know it's a West Indies squad with not too many familiar names to them, and you know the. With all due respect to you know the numbers bods in the England team, it's not like you know they're kind of under the microscope going into this series as well, aren't they? Given a lot of the chat during the World Cup, whether it was the toss decisions or the the balance of the squads, it felt like everything was slightly off kilter. Um, and so yeah, you know it, it's a big you know a big tour for them in terms of earning their corn or justifying their corn because. Yeah, when you're when you're down, everyone's gunning for everything. It was rather everyone's gunning for everyone, really. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that transpires. It's it's a weird timing for a series as well for West Indies. I think just generally in terms of they obviously don't have the Champions Trophy in 2025, so their mm. ODI team, it's you know, as you said, very much built towards 2027. But, but then they've recently found out they don't have the well, Champions <laughs> Trophy yeah, in 2025. Actually, to be fair to West Indies, they were one of the. <laughs> few balls that actually seem to be across this because apparently just before the qualifiers they had some sort of internal briefing where they said look guys not only is World Cup on the line Champions Trophy is also on the line so if we fail to qualify if we mess one up we mess both up and they duly did that, that, that didn't um, have the reaction that yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah it's, it's just a, it's a slightly strange strange time for them to have this series um, you know yeah four years away from their next sort of big assignment, I suppose. But uh, yeah, as as Vish says, you know they need to they do need to qualify for that. Um, so they sort of both need to be focusing on long term, but also without disregarding the short term. And yeah, and, and looking um, ahead to the T Twenties as well. That's well, the that, tournament they're hosting. Yeah, that's it. And um, <coughs> or jointly and, hosting. Let's say. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll they'll you know expect to do a lot better in a T Twenty World Cup on home soil than they have in the past couple of T Twenty World Cups where they've mm. been a bit of a shambles because um, obviously you know they have a, a proud history in that format um, winners in twenty twelve and twenty sixteen and then in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two they've been pretty terrible really so um, and I think also it, it it seems like some of the big guns will come back for the T Twenty so I think um, both Puran and uh, Holder I'm not one hundred percent sure whether they'll both be in the T Twenty squad they've not named it but they they sort of uh, opted out of ODI's selection mm -hmm. for the time being, but um, whether or not they're available for the uh, for the T20s, that obviously makes them a stronger side if those guys are in. Um, interested to see to 
noticed that uh, Shimron Hetmeyer's in the squad again because he's yes. not always been, well, he's rarely been available for bilateral cricket in the past couple of years and sort of came back earlier in the year. Yes, he which, played the qualifier. Yeah, which, which sort of it seemed to come from nowhere a little bit, but now he's, you know, seems to be back involved. And if they can get to a point where they actually tie him down for four years and... And he get, doesn't, doesn't miss flight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets on every plane. Um, it's a long it's a long then, time to go to yeah. hitting every departure lounge on but, time. You know, I think he's I think he's 26, so um, yeah. you know, if he can if he if they can get him for the next four years in, in one day in T20 cricket, I don't know whether his test career is ever going to uh, start back up again, but... Um, yeah, that that would be that would be massive for them. So um, yeah, be be interested to see how he goes because obviously I'm sure everyone knows how how just how destructive he can be when he when he gets set. Well, the men are reacquainting themselves with conditions in the Caribbean. England women are set to tour India, playing three T20Is and a Test match. Previewing that will be Valkyrie Baines and Ferdos Munda on Ladies Who Switch, which will be on the feed next week. Uh, now then. Uh, on to the stuff that really matters, the IPL 2024 auction coming up. Um, Matt, I'm sure you're all across this. Uh, tell us about some of the uh, the big decisions of the past week or so. Uh, quite a lot of them England-related. Uh, ben Stokes and Joe Root opting, opting out and then being released. Uh, and then, well, just all sorts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were a record number of... England players under contract in the IPL last year, 17 of them, um, of which nine have been retained by their franchises and eight have been released. Um, Root and Stokes, both interesting ones where they might have been released anyway, even if they hadn't opted out, but have clearly decided um, that that's not going to serve their interests. Um, and Stokes, I, th I think, is particularly interesting because, um, you know, England, obviously, in the last T20 World Cup, sort of used him as a plug-in and play. He played very little bilateral T20 cricket, did very little in most of the tournament and then sort of played the hero innings in the final, having dug himself into a hole and then dug himself out of it to get them over the line. But, um, you know, he's, he's obviously, I think he's just had his um, long-awaited knee surgery and his, the, the process of recovery is obviously on its way. Um, I've no idea at this stage whether he's going to be a realistic option for England's T20 World Cup plans next year. My instinct is probably not if he's not going to the IPL, but then who knows, maybe he'll... Come and play those. Uh, the temptation will always be there to, exactly, to go yeah. back and pick him. Um, so it'll be very <coughs> hard to say no to Ben Stokes. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be an interesting one to track. And then, um, yeah, Root obviously it won't, hasn't been part of England's T20 plans for about four years now. So um, not a huge surprise to see him opting out. I think um, a few interesting decisions generally. I think um, I, w I was slightly surprised to see Mark Wood retained by Lucknow. I, I, my instinct was that he would probably miss that IPL just because he's had quite a big workload across formats and uh, but obviously if he's part of England's T20 plans and that's probably the best way to prepare because um, the IPL is the only T20 cricket happening in April to May England plays some T20s against Pakistan end of May before the mm. tournament um, <coughs> and then interesting as well to see um, Joffrey Archer released by Mumbai Indians and I actually think that's that's quite an interesting one in terms of it, it probably actually plays quite well for the ECB in some senses because when Archer originally signed for Mumbai Indians there was a lot of talk about how he would potentially be one of the players targeted on a you know year-round franchise deal but England have stuck by him throughout the whole time they've given him central contracts he signed a two-year one he got offered a three-year one actually recently um, which he decided to take two instead um, but England can almost say to any other fast bowler in that situation look if you're injured we're still going to stick by you we're mm. going to trust 
you can you can put your faith in us that we're going to look after you medically whereas a franchise might promise you the world and say we're going to have you and all our teams are, you know Joffre's play for them in uh, South Africa as well he's going back there and I'm sure the medical team will still look after him for that tournament mm. but um, yeah he's not going to be involved unless they buy him back for a lower fee at the auction which they could do but mm. um, he's, he's, he's someone that they've chosen to move on from it um, you know the drop of a hat almost in terms of and, and they bought him sort of this time last year knowing that he was injured is that yeah, am I yeah, right in, yeah. so I he, he was correctly but, he was um, under contract for two <coughs> years uh, they knew that he would be unavailable mm. the first year and then he went out this year and it was, it was a big saga about um, him. Yeah. He, he played some and yeah. aggravated an injury then uh, played again and then it has been out since with a flew mm. to Amsterdam oh, yeah, yeah. yeah was it Amsterdam uh, Brussels I Brussels think. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah yeah I think it, there's a there's a few interesting ones in there Harry Brooks up for auction as well I, yeah. I don't think he'll get any I assume he'll he'll nominate he's obviously had a busy workload but is at a stage of life and career where he's probably keen to throw himself back in especially mm. with T20 World Cup coming up and probably won't get 1.3 million quid again <laughs> but should still get a decent deal yeah. somewhere and um, yeah, obviously, it'd be be big for him to uh, to get a decent run of games before a World Cup. Vish, how do you think if, uh, any of this plays with regard to the the sort of the new contract situation? Root and Stokes are they ostensibly prioritising you know Test cricket? Uh, you know, safe in the oh, Stokes has only got a one year contract, but we, I'm sure he'll get offered another one. Um, <laughs> is, you know, is that a sign that that England have played this right? Is is Mark Wood being on a three year contract, but then going to play the IPL? As Matt says, that's good preparation for uh, a T20 World Cup. Any sense here that kind of England have uh, Rob Key has, has played his cards smartly when it comes to negotiating this landscape I mean the IPL is always the big draw anyway yeah and, yeah. and you'd expect that even though nine or eight or nine players got released there'll be quite a lot of demand for either those same players or, or a similar number of English players again uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks time um, but yeah I mean have the ECB got this all under control is what I'm, uh, is what I'm asking um <laughs> I suppose they have in a, in some way, but in in terms of the Stokes and Root, you know, for example, feel like they don't need to play in the IPL. Mm -hmm. um, but that's because they they're getting you know enough wedge to, to you know to to, to be Speak able to say no. Here. Yeah, like it, it's it's that luxury of being able to say no to that, yeah. to that kind of stuff. Um, I'd also say that it, it's. It's kind of really nothing from the from an ECB perspective beyond preservation of their wares because within those central contracts is a clause that they can play in the IPL. All the players can play in the IPL, and they won't lose any money. So, for example, you know, county players would have to play a portion of their mm. salary back for the number of days that they were away for, from their county, and that's what you know. That's why you you hear about it every year that certain players have to put them in in certain brackets to make it worth their while. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something that's built in now, I suppose. So it's not necessarily, I, I suppose the way you framed the question was almost like um, that they'd be, you know, in conflict with each other when they're really not. I mean, you're needing to look at how Stokes used it this year, which, which, in, which in many ways, like, you know, to step <clears> back and, you know, to take off your England hat and look at, and look at it, you know, as plainly as can be. It took the mick a bit, you know, <laughs> going over to Chennai and um, basically using it as a glorified spa. 
obviously worked out great for England in the end because it essentially got them through the ashes. But, you know, CSK might have been wondering what they were doing. And when Brendan McCullum finishes a press conference at the end of that Wellington test in February, talking about the medical facilities of, you know, Chepak, you're like, right, okay, yeah. There's, you know, there's some, some element of trying to game the system here. Um, but, you know, even before these central contracts came into play, you know, Matt was talking about Joffre there, that the SA20 was seen as part of his roadmap back, back in and mm-hmm. before it kind of, um, was before essentially they, you know, lost control a little bit in the IPL and we're in the situation we're in now. Um, but broadly, they've, you know, under key, but even a little bit before that, they, they want to work with franchise tournaments to basically try and get as much in return as, as they can. Um, so in, in terms of the IPL, well, I suppose we won't really know until we get the auction, we see who's actually been picked up because, you know, there's there's an interesting thing from a couple of the players who have central contracts, someone like David Milan, who has a year central contract, who mm. would probably want to throw himself into the IPL because of that you know, because the ECB contracts, you don't lose any money through IPL deals. And it'd be interesting to see, like, is he part of the T20 World Cup reckoning? I suppose he he should think that he is, given mm. how he's been <coughs> over the last couple of years, um, or longer than that for England, and, you know, his part in, uh, well, would being there in 2022 as well. But it feels like already there was talk of moving away from him a month after he signed this new deal. So He's the only fall guy, isn't he, from the yeah. World Cup? There. Well, Key spoke about him and basically said, that, yeah, I, I suppose it's one of those strange things where because of the timing that the contract was announced, it looks a little weirder than maybe it was because I think the, the contracts actually were offered in September and at that point you've got Milan was pretty much framed as the, the lock for opening the batting at a World Cup. Mm. So the 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 first year in terms of white ball cricket basically covered two World Cups and you have Milan opening the batting in one of them you probably were going to offer him a contract regardless of the T20 situation I think and Key basically said that his, his form in T20 hasn't been anywhere near as strong over the past 12 months which is mm. you know looking at his England numbers and um, in leagues as well is, is true but I think you know if he if he has a really good winter in franchise cricket, there's you know clearly he's still going to come under consideration. Um, just on the contracts point more generally, I think the one really interesting one in terms of who's been retained at the IPL is Will Jacks, mm. um, who wasn't offered a contract and was probably the biggest surprise I would say in terms of someone he wasn't offered a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in part came down to the fact that while he's been while he's played every format in the last twelve months, he's not played many games in any format. Um, but I, I did feel it was slightly odd that you know 29 players got offered contracts by mm. England and you have someone who is pretty much slated as the after that World Cup regardless what happened he was probably going to get opportunities opening the batting in both white ball formats and is going to be at least in consideration for a test tour to India he wasn't one of the 29 players offered the contract it seems like a a, a big miss and then the fact that he's been retained by RCB he didn't play a game for them last year because of injury mm. um, but the fact that he's been retained despite that shows <coughs> that clearly in the franchise world by you know Andy Flower clearly thinks highly enough of him to uh, to want to keep him at RCB um, other teams are doing the same People, I think he's got a deal in South Africa this winter um, having he's got a big deal in South Africa this a, winter yeah. having a slightly dropped the ball on that particular case where you know I think Jack still is desperate to play as much cricket for England as he can but um, it does feel slightly odd that he's, he's not on that list of 29 
Yeah, and the, the Jax thing's interesting because there was, during the negotiations of who will get the contracts, there was a moment where Jax was on that list. So he could probably consider himself number 30. Um, but it seemed to cap off what was quite a bad year from England's perspective with regards to their management of him. Bear in mind that he, you know, finished 2022 with that 6-4 in, in Pakistan and be, playing a prominent part in that series. <coughs> Almost coming to England's, um, you know, to save England's, Bacon really in that first test when illness went through them they didn't pick Rahan Ahmed um, and he was essentially bowling off the back of one you know passable season in county cricket but then he goes to New Zealand he doesn't play they then fly him out to Bangladesh um, and then he which contributed him getting injured which yeah which which <laughs> speaking to him at pre-season contributing to him getting injured missing that IPL season um, and then he came he, you know the way he spoke was like he wanted to prove people that he, he is a Battery bowls, not just someone that you can throw in on a whim as a spinner, that he's got a bit more to his game. And then to finish the season without that. And I think even he was a little bit peeved that he wasn't in broader consideration for the World Cup as mm. well, given his talents, you know, big hitting, top order player, bowls, bowls decent off spin. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting time for him because he may well <coughs> end up getting called into the... Um, to the test squad for for India, and then you're asking him without a central contract to then give up the SA20 to then be knackered going into say potentially an IPL season as well. So that would probably you know I suppose you asked it a couple of questions ago, but you know have they got this right? That's probably the one that they they've got to be really wary of. I think comforting in a way to know that they haven't got it all sewn up. Yeah. Uh, right then, well the other thing that we've had in the last week and. Uh, we best not forget the poor downtrodden county schedule um, in all this. Is, that's where all the players will be going back to uh, to the treadmill uh, sooner or later. Um, how much are you looking forward to Super September, Vish? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I cannot F- wait. Five competitions uh, concluding. Uh, the Blast final, the One Day Cup final, the Charlotte Edwards um, Cup final as well. The Ch- county championship obviously uh, has its... Uh, Dramatic uh, denouement uh, amid the rain clouds and, and uh, damp autumnal uh, yeah. evenings of September. I love the way that the ECB <coughs> over the last few years have been really open about how they've had to contend with fixture congestion and like moving things around to give them pride of place in, in certain points. And so they just chuck all the finals in one month, <laughs> like back to back. You know, they talk about how hard it is for players to train going from format to format, they get all that information and they chuck all these finals into one month. It just... Yeah, well, I, I think the county, personally, I think the county schedule is terrible next year. I <laughs> yeah. think that there was, a, there was a point when it was the Strauss review which got thrown out and ignored and I think it, you know, it actually was arguably a sort of a, an unexpected negative of the first few weeks of basketball was that people were like well actually all the players are fine you know these the, you know what it we ain't worry broke, about don't fix yeah, it yeah basically because yeah, <laughs> that was around the time that the review was yeah. um, being commissioned and coming in and being worked on and everything and it, it felt like there was just a big on you, you know we don't need to change anything this is you know Strauss got it all wrong it's all fine and it's clearly not fine the players hate it um, there's way too much cricket in the schedule there's too many rounds of championship games the blast is still massively bloated hard to follow it clashes with the T20 World Cup um, they, they've made a big thing of the fact that all the games are at the weekends which players hate because it means you you know get home from an away game at 2am and then play the following day in some cases mm. um, and then <coughs> start a championship game and switch formats 
you also have a massive gap between the group stages and the knockout stages which means that the overseas players will be different yeah. um, and it just it just looking at it all mapped out it, I know it's a really tough job I know you can't suit everyone I know it's got a lot harder with the 100 but the county schedule looks mad to me next year um, and I, I don't understand how it's in any way um, feasible for, for the game to have this review commissioned um, that says players are burned out and you know the PCA have said countless times how player welfare is being affected mm. by the volume of cricket and the response from county chairs was we don't care um, let's do it yeah. again well I mean it does seem as if uh, we've now had about uh, I think the past three seasons or what, uh, from in, into next summer pretty much the same schedule which uh, <clears throat> you know the, the 50 over cup playing at the same time as 100 yeah. championship sort of at start and end everything else bunged in in between which uh, even if you didn't like the Strauss review everyone agreed that was a bad you know everyone agreed yeah. this format for this structure uh, was pretty terrible yeah but in the, there's no will uh, to fix it or at least there's there's no one with a with a silver bullet or or, or even a halfway decent plan um, I mean visually on the point of um, you know, lumping all the formats and, and finals in together uh, Alex Stewart um, Possibly you were there uh, at the yeah, end of the season. Yeah, the Paul. He complained yeah. about, um, but looking ahead to Super September next next year, when there'll also be um, eight limited overs internationals against Australia uh, and a Sri Lanka Test in the, in that as well. Uh, oh yeah. So, sorry, tend to be <clears throat> you know uh, good team, good squad, produce a lot of players for England, um, and I think Neil Snowball was asked about this. Um, the uh, uh, ECB, I forget what his job title is now, but he's sort of managing director of uh, it was it was um, in charge of the county game, wasn't he? Um, but saying, uh, well, you know, sorry, get to the get through and all that. It's going to be very busy for them. I wouldn't call it unlucky. Um, the consequence of being really good is that you could be in all three, and that's a hell of a schedule. I agree, but I would have thought adrenaline would take them through it. <laughs> which see, <laughs> well, I'm not sure Stewie uh, Alex Stewart is going <laughs> to going gonna to go back to the to the squad and say lads do it on adrenaline yeah, but that's that <coughs> even even things like that are just really like tone deaf you know if they they he has seen and been presented with not just evidence but testimony from players talking about how unsustainable this is on the morning that the they got announced you know various different county representatives from James Harris and Sam Cooker uh, Glamorgan and Essex, respectively, um, spoke quite well about the issue with the congested fixture schedule. So that's basically, you know, a very tame, very English cricket way of basically just saying shut up and dribble, <laughs> essentially, that, yeah, uh, adrenaline will, will carry you through. Uh, that's just that's just really dumb. And speaks to, some, speaks to someone who just doesn't really know what he's doing. Managing director of competitions and major events. Uh, yeah. Snowballs. Job title. Doesn't sound like he's got a high performance medical background, does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, the game has made great uh, advances um, on on many fronts, but yeah, <laughs> just uh, it's exciting, lads, isn't it? Go on, yeah, go on. well, it's got go super on. in the title, isn't it? So it's got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we don't ma we don't have the hundred schedule just yet, but um, that looks like it will have to overlap 
with uh, England uh, men's yeah. nationals at one at one end or another, yeah, either a, a, a test with Sri Lanka or West Indies yeah, somewhere. So twenty twenty three was a, an exception, really, in that it didn't the hundred didn't clash with any England internationals, men's or women's. I think um, I think the hundred starts the final week of July is the like is the sort of date that's been penciled in and last around about four weeks I think um, so I think it clashes with the last West Indies test but that's basically a, you know again it's the T20 World Cup's been placed in the middle of the English summer which means that there's a squeeze on fixtures um, they don't want to go up against the IPL or the T20 World Cup obviously uh, you can't go up against the T20 World Cup so that means that you have to have four months of fixtures squeezed into a three months of calendar um, and therefore there's just not a big enough gap but I mean you know for example that Australia tour that we've spoken about a couple of times next summer I think starts on something like the 14th of September I don't have the exact date in front of me but um, it starts midway through September and they play eight games um, it's basically a game every other day for the, the final two and a half weeks of September um, you know you get a week of bad weather and it, it's going to be absolutely fast but um, yeah all that to look forward to um, in the next 12 months yeah well uh, uh, the um, obviously the good thing about uh, the 100 and, and the test players aren't involved in the one day side so that you know, it won't yeah. matter although we've just done, done the thing about how the test players yeah, are now well, going to be all yeah. involved in the one day side yeah. so uh, <coughs> I'm sure it'll, it'll work itself out won't it yeah also you yeah. know bear in mind that after the T20 World Cup as well Moeen's going to have come out of test retirement isn't he so, yeah. again <laughs> so yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. The county game, I mean, at bottom, is it basically just a case that the county game has to muddle through, really? Uh, and, uh, you know. Yeah, that, that's it. That's basically it, isn't it? It's just as, like. As oh, much just, as we all hear with it, the yeah. complaints of yeah. Alex Stewart or the PCA and the players, at the moment, there's, there isn't a way to fix it. Well, there is. There's play less championship cricket. That helps. And play yeah. fewer blast games. But you know, yeah. I don't know. Counties don't a lot of the time you know are beholden to a small group of members or um, you know the chair isn't necessarily involved in the running of the club in the same way as a chief executive and they hold all the power and um, yeah I think most of the players would support a move to three divisions of six and ten games a year instead of 14 but yeah. um, they play 14 that's that's how it is yes even though it leads to a weird lopsided fixture list with the uh, Ten and eight divisions, and anyway, yeah, even, sure. even, even <coughs> that, like the uh, like, obviously we've spoken about it before, but the fact that sorry didn't play, you know, the people, the, the team that pushed them closest in twenty twenty two in Hampshire twice, the fact that they didn't play the team that close pushed them closest in twenty twenty three in Essex twice, like, mm. yeah, it's all a bit of a shambles. Scrap the hundred. No, we're, we're <laughs> okay, you were that, saying uh, scrap the county championship upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's Matt's line. <laughs> okay, that'll probably do us for today. England begin their quest to find themselves once again on the sunkissed beaches of the Caribbean with Sunday's first ODI in Antigua. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. We'll be back to see how they get on in due course. Until then, my thanks to Bisha Matt and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.